Welcome to Fort Podcast. I'm Sean Chris Lewis, your host, and I would say we're still in the COVID episodes. Whether we're speaking directly about COVID or the fragilities in our system that it's revealed, I'd say we still have a lot of work to do, and this is going to be a topic that's ongoing for quite some time right now. As COVID sent the vast majority of us into our sequestered lives, many of us found ourselves really starting to look at the world through a different lens. A lot of the fragilities in our system were and are still really being revealed. The novel coronavirus is convincingly demonstrating that there's a large portion of our population whose health are needlessly in serious jeopardy. That's the that's a topic that we're going to jump into today because health equality, I would say, is the foundation to a healthy society. Not just healthy in body, but healthy in mind. If you want to know what's happening in a society, look at the levels of health. Are the people living longer? Are the hospitals full? Just think of it. When COVID sent us all home, what were we hearing about all the time? We were hearing about people who were fragile, people who were elderly, all had to be the most careful. And the obese, people with diabetes, these were all conditions that made you at higher risk of having very negative outcomes if you contracted COVID. And it's becoming more and more evident that these places where people are at risk are places where there's great inequality. Health inequality is a serious local and global problem, and it's got to get resolved. We need to come to a place of agreement where we acknowledge that though we may never see a perfect world of equality, we got to make it that every individual at least is provided the tools and the opportunity to pursue personal health and well-being. We're going to jump into these questions of health inequality and some of the systemic problems that lead to that and how resolving it isn't going to be any easy task. But I think... If we can just agree that health inequality is a real thing and it does affect a person's ability to actually engage in healthy lifestyle, then we can start to move. But if we think that somebody is unhealthy, overweight, suffers with lifestyle diseases, is their fault per se, I don't think we'll move forward. We really live in a meritocracy today where we believe that everybody gets what they deserve. If you spend any time in social media and you just scroll down into the comments section, which I don't highly recommend sometimes, if you want to get a little depressed, the comments section is a place to hang around. But I do go in there because I do like to see counter arguments to things. But you will often see comments like, you get what you put into it. You get what you deserve. I gotta say, man, that is very far from the truth. There are people out there. The two, two factors in their lives worked against them even before they could apply effort, right? So when people say, you get what you deserve, I say, well, hold on a second. There's two things that are at play before you even come into this world and that's the geography, where you're born into, where in this world, 
which is a game changer for some people, and the parents who bring you into the world, whether it be their genetics or their intention as parents. Do they intend to give the best of themselves to their child? Or are you unfortunate to be born into a single parent family where one parent bailed out on you? So there's two factors that are involved in somebody's life before they can even meet that standard of you get what you deserve. And that is where you're born and who you're born to in what society. Which brings us to our guest, Coach Crystal Lawless. She's a return guest. She's been on Fork Podcast once before. And I'm really looking forward to hearing what she's got to share with us on this topic of health inequality. She is co-founder of Tribe Fitness in Salem, North Carolina, and she's a personal trainer and wellness coach. Let's listen to Coach Crystal. Can't wait to hear what she's going to bring to this conversation today, and let's go. We have Coach Crystal on the line here in North Carolina. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Um, it's a crazy time right now, but... Uh doing as best as I can. So yeah. I guess that's my good right now. Yeah, that's what we're all doing the best we can right now in these bizarre conditions. I mean, we're here in Montreal, things are starting to get back to, well, the new normal, right? They're mm-hmm. we're getting back to things. They're actually this Monday, they're opening gyms up. I mean, Oh, wow. Yeah, I was kind of surprised. I I thought gyms were going to be like maybe August, September, but um it's almost like now uh COVID doesn't exist. Every like one week later, everything's <laughs> back. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I don't know. What's the overall health status in North Carolina? What's the the population like? I it's it's pretty much a a good and healthy population overall. I think that Winston-Salem does a good job at trying to um, promote a very good, healthy lifestyle. They, I mean, within the last 10 years, they've integrated more, you know, public spaces for working out and trails and trying to motivate um, schools to do different like running programs or, you know, different things like that. And so generally, I think it's a, a younger, healthy population. Like I said, you, you, when you throw in something like COVID, you you kind of get exposed to all of the nooks and crannies that your city has. I remember in college there, we, we would talk about like food deserts. And I know that North Carolina is a place that, that has like food deserts, which basically is a place where in a neighborhood, there's not anywhere to buy like fresh produce or fresh groceries. And I know that that was a big, um, a big wave of trying to, you know, bring in uh, co-ops into these communities and do different things like that. Um, so I think as a whole, the state, from my knowledge, has tried to be better, tried to be healthier, tried to help um, communities who don't have those resources um, and like go in and actually provide healthier habits and lifestyles for these people or options, you know, even simply like putting in a grocery store that has fresh produce. We we think we're progressing until, like we said, something like this happens and we see that like a, a larger body of people are, are being effect, um, affected by all of this. I was out in my backyard this morning and I was training and I'm doing my, I did my yoga, my meditation, my, my other weightlifting exercises that I do in my garden. And it got me thinking about the conversation that was coming up with you and I. I felt incredibly fortunate and blessed to have what I have. I often think about the the people who are 
least able to take advantage of what we offer, right? We offer plenty of things to people to be healthy and fit, but there's some people who are in circumstances that they just simply can't engage in those things. Yeah. We, you and I were talking about that and being a, a black female in the fitness industry, it's, it's really challenging to see that there's not many people like me, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, even, even, owning a business where, like I told you, 6% of my clients are people of color. And that's a very small percentage. 6% you said? 6? 6%. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 6%. And even growing up, like I grew up in, you know, deep South Louisiana and most of the people that I knew were overweight. It is like we, like you said, we didn't have the time or the money to, to invest into our health. And although like the things that we were taught to do to like take care of ourselves, it was like, okay, you have to work to take care of your family. And no matter how much time that, that, that takes out of your day, that was the priority. Mm-hmm. I would see my parents like go to work and they would work until the work was done. And when the work was done, it was usually nighttime. And it was like, okay, come home, cook and get ready for the next day of work. And so where in that day do you, do you prioritize fitness when family is the number one priority here. But, you know, I did not see any adults in my life growing up work out because they were so busy trying to provide for our family. And when they weren't trying to provide for our family, they were doing something with church or community or something like that. And so, like you said, there was there was no time and the money wasn't there because all the money that was being made was spent on taking care of the family bills and things of that nature. And so going to college, I definitely thought that I was going to go into physical therapy. I had weeded down all these different things, but I ended up doing an internship. And the internship that I did first, I was actually under a very, um, a young black male who was, you know, had been in the industry for about two or three years. And he was uh, my mentor for this uh, internship. And he not only like showed me that like, this is, more than just the possibility, like you don't just have to play basketball, play football, play baseball or any other sport to get your exercise. Like you can do this for the well-being of your of yourself. And, you know, that was super encouraging to me to not only come in contact with another person of color, but like someone who had also learned the things that I was currently learning and applied it to his life and, and, and showed me that this is not just a like a can exercise is not just a conditional thing. You know, you can have it and it can be good for you overall in your life. You don't have to just apply it to a sport or just apply it to get us to get a scholarship or something like that. You know, you can do it and it's good for you and it'll in ways take care of you more than you know. And so that was super encouraging to me. And that led to me, you know, going into a career that most people don't look like me, you know, as, as a person of color, I, I really start to think back on my life and I'm like, where was the space for exercise? And it was like, other than playing or in sports, there was really no, no talk of working out or doing any kind of exercise because it, it just, we didn't, like you said, we didn't have the time or the money for it. Yeah. That's the biggest problem with um, health inequality, right? I think there mm-hmm. we, you and I had a text back and forth the other day where we were just talking about judging from our space of abundance, right? We forget what reality other, well, actually not forget. We just don't know the reality of other people and we judge from the space that we occupy in our lives. Oh yeah, for sure. I think we, 
we assume a lot of times, like I said, I, I was rem- reminiscing on my childhood and trying to figure out where exercise fit. But also I know there's a lot of people where it's like, well, that's a, that was a commonality for me growing up. It was like, okay, you know, you, you exercise and eating healthy was just a, a way of life. And I don't, I don't think a lot of people realize that that's not the way of life for most people especially once you've been in, in it for a while and you've got, you've gotten a routine and you're like, it's so easy. You know, I, I make sure I eat from every food group and I do that, you know, I make sure I get at least, you know, 30 minutes of exercise. I walk, I, I, it's, it's a conscious thought in your mind every single day as to where there's other people in this world who their exercise is the least of their worries because they have so many other problems and so many other things and so many other responsibilities. So thinking of themselves and thinking of exercise as a, as a tool to help them manage their stressors is not even a forethought because it's like, I have so much on my plate right now and exercise will take away from the things that I'm, that I currently have responsibilities for. And so it's, you know, it's the whole, we can, we can condemn people for not exercising all day long, but it's not until we actually put ourselves in their shoes and say, okay, well, what's the, what's the big reason why they're not exercising? Like what like you said, what's their why for why they're not exercising? Is it because they don't have the time? Is it because they don't have the money? Is it because there's other priorities and responsibilities? Like we don't think about that. We just look and we're like, oh, okay, well, these people don't care about themselves because they're not exercising, which is not necessarily true. Right. They're riddled with stress. If um, yeah. anybody just picks up any, any literature on scarcity, they'll understand that People only have a certain amount of bandwidth that they can focus on. And when you're worried about your bills and you're worried about your job, you have, um, well, imagine if you have a, a home with violence in it. Um, mm-hmm. These are not people who can focus on exercising. And my biggest concern is in health and fitness. For me, I'm not a, I'm not an expert. But the one area that I do know a lot about is health and fitness. So with all that's going on right now with Black Lives Matters and inequality, I tried to shift my mind to what I know best. And that is helping a population to be healthy is probably one of the best starting points to address many of those those um, fractures that we see in our system. Yeah, I think providing different tools and outlets for stress, especially in a time where so many people need, you know, positive ways to uh, de-stress and to find ways to filter out stress. I think that's the only way that we can in our profession is offering, you know, those that free advice, that free service, the free knowledge based on why we do things the way we do or why we should go about, you know, exercising this way. Um, that would be cru- that can be crucial for someone's you know overall like longevity of their life. The way I see this is equality or inequality. The moment you start looking at the health of your population, it really just directly forces you to look at the aspects of inequality. Because if you say, okay, a person can afford to join a gym. So where are they going to exercise? Oh, they don't have a backyard. Their house might be overcrowded. They might be just living with too many people under one roof. Uh, Okay, so they need an outdoor safe space to exercise. Oh, guess what? They live in a very bad neighborhood of town. They don't feel safe outside. So now that shifts the attention on, okay, for this person to practice health and fitness in some way, we need to start looking at their communities and start repairing that. So I find that when you 
when you address the health and fitness of a population, it actually forces you to look at all of the inequalities. Oh, for sure. I mean, the one of the biggest things that you said was about like um, the housing and like where you live and things of that nature. And with everything going on, you know, a lot more things are brought brought to our attention. But one of the things that I really wanted to kind of figure out, like look at a statistic of was um, like middle class wealth. Like what does that look like? You know, a white family versus a black family. And so when, you're, when we're talking about wealth, we're talking about savings plus your assets minus your debt. Like what is just the general, what that number looks like? And I think it was 2018 was the statistics I was looking at. And it was for the white family, the average middle class, their um, wealth was $170,000. And I'm like, that's, that's pretty good. You know, mm-hmm. that's not obviously not super rich, but then you compare that to the average black family and it was 17,600. That's over $150,000 difference. And so you, you, you take that and you look and you say, okay, now how can a person of color take that money and find them a, a nice, a nicer place to stay? You know, when you have a $150,000 gap there, it's like, we're talking about the difference between <laughs> the difference between buy, honestly buying a trailer to live in and buying a, 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 a split level home. And so it's like, Obviously, communities, the way that um, the FHA had set up for years had set up housing, things were redlined. So it's like you can't just take your trailer and move it into a community of, um, you know, where there's houses. And so that restricted so many people of color from places that they worked, the schools that their children were, were going to, the property value, the resources that they had just in general. And so... We're talking about years and years and years of like systemic inequality. And so now that it's, you know, 2020 and people are quote unquote woke and they want to know, okay, what can we do to to make these things better? And I've seen a lot of people say like, okay, well, you need to put your money where your mouth is. And I, and I get that. And a lot of people have donated money to different causes and things like that. But I do also think you have to you have to show up and one, educate yourself on things like this that you're like, wow, I wouldn't think that the average family black and white would have a hundred and fifty thousand dollar. And I'm sure that number has grown within the, the last two years. Just looking at that number, looking at like money and looking at numbers that also affects everything else that we're talking about. It's how, it affects how much resources a family may have to better educating themselves on living a healthier lifestyle and doing those things or having a safer neighborhood to go outside and just take a walk every day. And so when you have those things and like even, even neighborhoods that we don't deem quote unquote safe there, there's parks there too, but those parks are usually not very well kept up by the city. And, you know, I I hear a lot of times it's like, well, we're not taking care of their parks and stuff. So why should we put more resources and stuff into like these parks and these areas? But uh, I'd be willing to bet that if as a whole, if we all were like, no, 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 we want better parks and community centers for everyone. And every single thing was equal. We would have more people of color, more, more people willing to like go out into these spaces and feel safe. Like I've, I've been to different, different parks all over our city and Sometimes you'll see like police officers scanning like the the perimeters if there's too many kids going on at a park or too many things going on at a park at a certain hour. 
but then you'll go into the the um what we deem the less safe neighborhood and you may not have the same type of security and so it's like if we equal out those differences then we have more people willing to say like oh no like i like this this is this is my park i'm going to take better care of it and then as a community we create better and safer spaces overall all over our city yeah and i also want to just go back to that point about healthy quality and the ability of a citizen a black citizen to be able to get out and enjoy the freedom to exercise and then if we look yeah. at Ahmad um, Aubrey if we looked at him and he was out practicing exercise there's a lot of black people who are thinking to themselves well I don't want to be out jogging and exercising and find myself in that kind of circumstance so back again to the whole equality yeah issue that if you can't feel that you can get out and exercise without being attacked or arrested how the hell are you supposed to practice healthy living everything with a mod it evokes a, a fear like you said of um being able to just freely go and do and be and exist in your um in your neighborhood and i think what really what really kind of took me um by I wouldn't even say surprise, but like off guard was like even this this young man is like jogging and, and people don't even believe him that he lives in this neighborhood or that he exists, you know? Right. Like it's it's just kind of one of those things. Um it it just basically sums everything we talked about from housing to, you know, just all of the in inequalities that just go and show us by example. It's like, you know, when you when you think you're safe uh, and you're in the comfort of your own neighborhood and you're doing this, why Why would other people be encouraged to go out to the park at that point? It's like, well, that's further from my house. Why would I drive to the park and go go run if I can't even run within two blocks of my house without, you know, being murdered? It's, the world that we live in, it's just like we, we've been, people. white people have been bred to see black people and think of them and be like, okay, so they're not in the place that they're supposed to be. This is a white neighborhood. Why is this young man running around? He, he has to be, you know, doing something. And it, it has allowed for people who aren't even in positions of power or to, to think that they have power because they are white. And which led to this young man losing his life. And it's like, why, why is that okay? Like, why was that even an option? Why did these people even, even deem themselves quote unquote important enough or to to make a decision where it ended up leading into one's life being, you know, taken from them. And it was only because he was a young black man. I guess North Carolina is still considered the South to some people, but because I grew up in Louisiana, you know, my experiences um in really deep south with police officers, there's there's a lot of a lot of things that I had to learn as a child growing up. It was like, you don't do this. If you see a police officer, this is how you talk to them so on and so forth. I grew up and I did not see a single police officer until I think I was in high school that was a person of color. And so it was like, okay, so you're if you encounter a police officer, these are the things that you should do. And it was like step-by-step -step behaviors and like procedures, quote unquote, that I was taught as a child. Who taught you and that? So Who taught you these procedures? My family. So really? like, whether it be like, my mom and my dad having a conversation or my grandmother sitting down with me and being like, Hey, you know, like if, if you get pulled over, these are the things you need to do. And I remember having that conversation more than once as a child growing up. And now that I'm older, 
and I do live in Winston-Salem where it's not as bad as deep South Louisiana, but like, you know, there's racism everywhere. And so I come here and this is a very integrative city. I would say they, our police department does do a really good job of making sure that there's good um, training for different police officers and different things like that. Like I, they, they're very outward, outwardly open about that. And our chief of police here is a, is a black woman. And so that makes me feel a little bit more sense of comfort, a little bit safer. And just to say like, okay, well, these people in these positions look like me. They look like my family members. They look like people that I know and I grew up with. And so I could resonate a little bit more with that. But there's millions of cities all over the world where they don't. Right. And so it's like I have some apprehension when I do go back home to the South because it's like, you you grow up with that fear of, okay, don't get pulled over, like don't encounter. And especially with things that are going on now, you just you just kind of live with that sense of fear of being a person of color. It's like, okay, what is my encounter going to be like? And so going back to the, the city and police canvassing in these areas, I remember being, you know, a young black kid and I would be at the park and we would be doing nothing wrong. And a police officer would come by and it was just like, okay, we would leave because it was like, okay, we don't feel welcome anymore. And so it's like, we have to do a better, we just have to do a better job as humans of, of taking care of each other and realizing that everybody matters. Every single, every single thing that we do matters to someone. And it's unfortunate. It's super unfortunate. It feels like my people, people of color have always had a target on their back. Like I said, I, I really, I'm, I'm really happy that the world is awake right now and they're, they're taking notice to this. But then you, there's so many questions of why are people so angry? Why blah blah blah? And it's like I'm 27 and I've, I've years, I've lived my whole life with different fears and apprehensions because I'm a person of color. So think about people who are 50, 60 years old who lived through even worse times than I've had to live through, and it's so that that pro- provokes that sense of anger and being misunderstood and it brings back a lot of trauma because we're reliving this stuff every single day. It's only, I don't know. I mean, you can't get on, you can't get online right now without seeing another person of color has died. Uh, something has happened traumatic, you know, in, in our life for black people. And so it's like, now we're reliving this every single day. And it, like I said, it's bringing up past traumas. It's bringing up feelings and emotions that we didn't even know that we had. And, um, so it's it's just a super interesting time to be alive. I'm very grateful to be alive, but it's super interesting to uh, be alive right now in this world and exist as a person of color. Yeah, it really concerns me though much, that these we reset back to norm very quickly, right? I know. Yeah. I yeah. think that it needs this storm, and we need it to keep coming because people forget really quickly. And especially once we start going back to work and things start to open again, what are humans going to do? We're going to just go back to what we know. The economy is going to reboot just the way it ended. And Mm -hmm. it's going to continue with all the same problems that it's had because we probably won't initiate those changes that are so necessary. I already see it here in our province. They passed a a bill or they tried to pass a bill while everybody was distracted, which enabled the government to circumnavigate certain environmental surveying for some of the projects that were coming up in the city. And I'm like, 
don't we learn anything? The environment is so important. Our health starts with the environment. If you want to know what's going on in any region, look at the people, look at their level of health, and they their health represents the health of the environment that they live in. It's the tell, I guess, that whole, like, tell is all this time. It's like while the world's distracted, our government is at play and trying to figure out what they can, like you said, get, get away with while everyone is distracted. I just hope that while we are like fighting for the things that we that we should already rightfully have that we we don't forget also that the government is trying to do other things as well and so in with that being said i i don't want in any way shape or form for the black lives matter movement and everything that's going on to just be pushed back to the side because i remember there was a a, a big weight not as big as as big of a wave as it is right now, but there was a, a, a Black Lives Matter movement a few years ago, and it seemed like, you know, once everybody got their feel, it was like, okay, that was nice. So um, back to our regular schedule program. Right. And so I really hope that what's going on right now continues to be at the forefront of our mind, even after we, we are quarantined. And even after, you know, people don't have as much time, I really hope that they still actively uphold the things that they're posting right now actively uphold the values that they say that they want to change and you know uphold and share to their children i hope that this doesn't just become you know a statement while there's a movement and i hope that people continue to just be as good as they portray themselves on social media right. in their real life and you know I'm, i know for sure i'm gonna hold the people in my life accountable for that the, i've had several friends white friends reach out to me and say kind words, speak good things into my life. And I know that they're good people, but it's not until we hold those people accountable when, when it's not on the, on the front of the newspaper that we're going to see real change in our life. And not just me as a person of color holding those people accountable, but white people holding other white people accountable for the, for the words and the actions that they say, constantly saying, okay, well, you said that you were this, that, and the third, but now you're you're joking about this. You think it's funny because it's it's a good time and there's no black people around. Like those are that's when real change starts to happen. When not just people of color speak up, but when white people hold other white people accountable, and that's really and truly what we have to see to move forward in the future, and to also not just be, I guess, trendy in the sense of. Like you said, there's there's a lot of other stuff that's going on right now um, that our government is trying to pass. It's an election year for us. And so it's like, are we still educating ourselves while we're, you know, doing the movement? That's super important for black people to know, like, who to vote for in this time if we really want change and to be registered to vote. Because our voices definitely need to be heard through our politicians and the people who actually serve for us in this country or who speak, quote unquote, for us in this country. Yeah, when I listen to what you're talking about, I, I think about how each individual can get clear on what they can do because it can get mm -hmm. very overwhelming. My commitment is, is to talk a lot about health inequality and how can we address that. I think there are things that individuals can look at. You know, we can all use our profession and say, okay, what can I bring forward to help with uh, improving inequality? For sure, man. I, I think, you know, a lot of people think that they can't do anything at all or they're like oh well 
I'm I'm not that important. And so what I do will be, you know, insignificant. But just like you said, it's it's if we hold ourselves accountable and we hold the people around us accountable, we're doing something because we don't realize that like we are at the beginning of several generations that follow us. And so if I uphold a standard, if you uphold a standard uphold a standard for yourself, that means not just you, but your children, your grandchildren, and so on and so forth. And so at some point, everyone's upholding the standard. And now if someone does use this soft racism, it's like, oh man, no, 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 no. That's, that's beyond, you know, beyond us. We don't, we don't uphold that. That's not, that's not right. And once that becomes normalized, that it's not okay to just say these like white black jokes or just, you know, brush it off or throw it under the table. That's when we really start seeing real change. But most people say, well, I can't make a, a huge impact when and truly you can, you can change the the outcome of generations to come in your life or, or even the people you encounter, your friends. There's, there's been times where I've had friends, you know, say certain things and they can visibly see me get upset. Like I, I'm like, no, that's not okay. You can't say that. Mm-hmm. And they're like, Oh, well, I was just joking. I'm just, you know, and really go to the defense for themselves. And I'm like, I understand that. I understand that you had no ill will by it, but because you had no ill will and intent by it, that goes to show you right there how messed up our system is already. Because you thought that this was going to make me in some way feel closer to you, or I was just going to laugh it off. But in turn, you know, that that's hurtful. And trying to really sit there, and if, if people truly love you and care about you and are the friends that they proclaim themselves to be, they will really hear you out. And once they have hurt your feelings or once you have educated them on why their behavior is wrong, they're not only going to apologize for that, they're going to uphold their end of the bargain and be like, okay, that's something I cannot do. Not just to you, but to any person of color or not just in front of you, you know, or, or behind your, I can't do it behind your back because it's not okay either way. And so once we start individually, like you said, seeking out, what can I do? Where's my place in this? And once everyone starts to really figure that out, it's like, yeah, we, we are causing change worldwide now because every single person is actively trying to do their part. It's funny how it really took COVID and the world to be still for people to have enough time and enough um, just morale overall to, to listen. Because it's, it's like this stuff has been going on your whole entire life. And it literally took the world to be put on pause for you to say, oh, this is this is um, important enough for me because the gyms are closed, because you can't go and do your extracurricular activities. It's like it's made more aware to people now that this is this has been a problem and not just right now, but for years and years. And we can go down the list of of people of color who have been killed at the hand of cops. And I mean, the list goes on and on and on. And people are like, oh, I didn't know that. Because at the end of the day, it was like you were busy with your life and your distractions and you didn't stop and realize that another life was taken. And so it's 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 funny how this we all thought that COVID would be the most devastating thing of 2020. But I really think that it allowed space for us to stop, look, listen and actually, you know, for people of color to be heard. And I'm thankful for this for this time. You know, I'm sorry that so many people had to, you know, die at the hand of this virus. It's it's not a good thing that happened, but I'm thankful that something good did come out of it. And it's, it's awareness. 
Well, Crystal, there is a long way to go, no doubt, but I'm convinced that we're in a new place right now. And as individuals, we can step up to what we can do. There is certainly no space to relieve corporations and businesses from their responsibility is in the position of the larger system. But as individuals, there's nobody out there who can say that they can't do something to help this movement grow, build more awareness. And they're saying, well, I'd like to do something, but I've got no money. I've got no time. What they can do is certainly watch their language. Everybody can watch their language. And that might just be the best place for all of us to start. I truly believe that. Well, I want to thank you so much for giving me your time, especially right now with so much going on. And uh, you've just brought a lot of great information. And I know that a lot of people are going to walk away from this with something to really think about. Yeah, I appreciate the opportunity, Sean. It's always a you know, tough conversation to have, but a necessary conversation. And I really appreciate you using your podcast and your platform for it. It's my promise to keep it going. <laughs> you have an awesome day, Crystal. You too.